0: Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Pretty pretty hot, I'm guessing, if I judge by uh, yesterday. In fact, yesterday went down as one of our hottest days in history. I saw a meme go out of the earth, Cape Town, and the sun. And apparently, some areas hit 47 degrees. And so, it certainly felt like that in our house last night. I must say, I don't think I slept at all And I'm sure it was the same for most of you. So if you are tired and you fall asleep during my sermon, I'll put it down to the heat and not to my message. But I loved um, what Daniel was sharing about the heart and how quick we are to forget and um, the goodness that God has done in us. And so the title of my message this morning is The State of Our Hearts. And I want to look at the condition of our hearts, not just physically, but also spiritually. And physically, it's, it's quite easy to understand the heart. There's not a lot of knowledge about it. You know it pumps blood around the body. Um, it's quite straightforward from that point of view. But spiritually, what does it mean when we talk about the heart? What does the heart mean from a spiritual sense? And if we look through the scriptures and the history of it, we get an idea of what the heart means spiritually. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. So we know that God has a heart. We know that God looks at a man's heart and not at his outward appearance as he said to Samuel, and how God looks at our hearts tells us a lot about what he thinks of our character, where our heart is at. We also know it's mentioned a lot in the Bible. Now, I'm not someone who normally likes to do the whole importance of words versus the number of times it appears in the Bible correlation, because if I were to do that, what do you think the two most important words in the Bible are? Any guesses? If it's and and the. Both mentioned 22,000 times, so you can read into that what you want to, but it is notable the word heart is mentioned over 826 times in some translations, only beaten by some of the big hitters like Father, God, Jesus, and also heart and love are mentioned almost an identical amount of times in the word, which I think is really cool. The word heart means levav or lev in the Hebrew. And it also means cardia in the Greek, which is where we get words like cardiogram, cardiovascular, all to do with the heart. And so the Israelites back in the day and the writers, they obviously knew what the heart was. They knew something of the body. They knew that it pumped blood around the body if you got cut and it was related to how your heart was pumping. Um, They also knew that you could have a heart attack. In 1 Samuel verse 25 to 37, it says, In the morning... When the wine had gone out of Nabal, sounds like a rough night, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as stone. And it's important we must make note of that stone word. It's going to come up later. He died and became like stone. And so obviously we know they knew about the heart as an organ. And in fact, the writers also refer to other organs. They talk about bowels of mercy, But um, as Luke told me yesterday, that makes it a bit awkward and doesn't really fit my sermon, so I'm going to keep with the heart today. What wasn't obvious is what they knew about the brain. A lot of the heart's functions in the Word are associated with brain functions. So, for example, you can know with your heart in the Bible. You can understand with your heart. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 2, verse 10, it says, "'Wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul.'" The heart is also used to discern between truth and error. It signifies thought processes. It's where we feel emotion. Hannah felt pain when she couldn't bear children. You can feel joy in your heart. It's where our affections lie. It talks about the desires of our heart. In 2 Samuel 7 verse 7, 7 verse 3, Nathan said to the king, King David, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so the heart represents the essence of human nature, spiritually. It's the center of a lot of our functions, our intellect, our emotion, and our will. It's where we make choices. It's very symbolic. It was symbolic then, and it still is today. How else would you love your Facebook friends' comments if you didn't have your heart emoji to show them so? We don't say, I cardiac muscle Jesus with all my heart. I doubt Kina would have been very impressed on our wedding day if I had said, "Hey, baby." I love you with all of my brain. That was a well-thought-out and rational decision. It wouldn't have gone down well. So the heart today is still a symbol and it's still symbolic. And so spiritually, when we talk about the heart, it's not just an organ. It represents so much more than that. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Other translations say, everything you do flows from it. So spiritually, we have to guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. It represents who we are, what we think, what actions we take, how we experience emotion. Some people refer to it as the soul. When your heart spiritually is doing well, your whole body is healthy. When your heart's sick, your whole body's sick. David, after he committed murder and adultery, said in Psalm fifty-one, "Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me." You notice he didn't say, heal my broken heart, fix parts of it, help me with this. He said, create a new heart, a pure heart in me. Because he knew he needed his whole life to be changed. And so where God changes a man's heart, it's more than just an organ change. He's changing everything about him, who he is, what we think, how we act. Luke spoke last week about the grace gift of salvation. And again this morning, he reminded us on that. That it's not something we earn, it's not... Boxes we can tick off to become that new creation. I love it in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone. Remember, Nabal died, became like stone, represents death from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I love this picture of this dead stone heart that cannot possibly pump blood or do anything. And all of us would die if our heart was in that state to this heart of flesh pumping life-giving blood all around our body. And they represent, the, the metaphor of a heart transplant focuses on the physical organ, whereas this represents a change to our whole lives. But the reality is, as Luke says, sometimes we think we can earn salvation. We can earn God's love. We know better than God. And the picture I had for that is imagine you're in a heart transplant and someone's doing a heart transplant in your life and you're awake because you like to be in control and the surgeon and you're saying to him, I'm sure, I'm sure it doesn't go a bit more to the left and you know, I'm sure it's down a bit. And you're like, okay, let me just take over and do it. I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's how we are with God sometimes. We like to tell him what we think it should be done and how it should go and not trust him as the expert. In order for there to be a heart transplant, there needs to be a donor. Someone has to die. And in this case, Jesus did for our sins. Through Jesus' death, we were able to experience eternal life with God and have this new heart. And it cost him everything. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. So as we receive this new heart from God, we are new creations. Everything of the past It's not just the the physical heart. Everything has changed and we are new creations. Imagine you were dying and you needed a new heart and someone said, I'll sacrifice my heart for you. I'll die so you can have my heart. Wouldn't we do everything we could to look after that heart, that new lease of life, knowing we could live forever because of that person's sacrifice? We would take care of it with everything we have. But we don't always do that. Things happen. We get hurt or injured. We suffer trauma. We might get shot. And our heart can get ill and get sick. And so this morning I want to look at what are some of the conditions of the heart, spiritually, that can cause us to get sick. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And that paints a different picture to this amazing... Beautiful new heart we have. Now suddenly saying you can get a sick heart. And Jeremiah was looking at a generation that was sacrificing children. And was so far from him that he was wondering, where are their hearts? They can come sick and damaged. And so what is the state of our heart? What is the condition of our heart? The problem with the heart is it's hidden. (laughs) Both physically and spiritually. It's not so easy to tell what the condition is. So there's some symptoms you need to look at. And so I want to take the physical heart and draw some parallels between that and our spiritual heart. What qualifies me to do this? Well, I'm a doctor's son. Which actually means I think I know everything medically, but I'm not trained in that. But as I um, qualified my last sermon on um, flights and pilots, in this case, most of our pilots and doctors and medical students have been moved to other congregations, so I think I'm safe. But my parents are here, my dad is a doctor, so no pressure. I'll do my best. And so your heart is an organ. And it pumps blood around your body. And it takes deoxygenated blood from various cells and organs. And it receives it into the right-hand side of your heart. And from there, the deoxygenated blood gets pumped through to your lungs, where it gets fresh oxygen, and then from there back to the left part of your, your heart, and then from there off to the rest of the body to bring fresh oxygen and oxygenated blood to your cells and organs. And your body simply would not survive without this heart. It's an amazing system. It works, works really well. I haven't had any complaints. But things can start to go wrong, and we're not always aware of that. And so I'm going to look at five points, <clears throat> physically, of what can happen to your heart, and then look at the spiritual significance of that. First of all, you can suffer from, literally, a hardened heart. Now, I always thought this was just a spiritual metaphor, but it can happen, apparently, called cardiac calcification. And certain conditions can cause an accumulation of calcium salts in the tissues of your heart, because your heart is a soft muscle. And block the electric signals that keep the heart beating. And this can trigger heart calcification. Your heart can literally harden over time and calcify over time. In some um, reports I read, almost like stone or bone. Another example is called tsubu cardiomyopathy, excuse my pronunciation, which is a temporary heart condition that develops in response to a tense emotional stress. And your heart almost seizes up and can no longer pump blood. Obviously, these aren't good conditions. If you have a hardened heart or calcified heart, your body's not able to operate. And you can suffer from heart attack or stroke from that. And scripturally, the significance of this we see with the disciples. They talk about having hardened hearts. If we look at from Mark 6, verse 48. And so this is Jesus. He had just fed. He had done the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And he had multiplied the fish and the loaves. And he had sent the crowd away. And he had sent the disciples off across the Galilee. And they were in their boat. And this big storm was coming up. And they were all like in total fear because they thought they were going to drown. And Jesus said he saw the disciples straining at the oars And because the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, it was about 3 a.m., walking out to them, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them when they saw him walking on the lake. And they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. This is interesting because this is the disciples who he had just spent time with doing amazing miracles. They should know him, they should recognize Jesus. But they didn't understand who he was. And so they thought he was a ghost. And then he says to them, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And it's interesting because there are two things. First of all, maybe their hearts were hardened because in the extreme terror of the storm, it was that, uh, let me go back here. Takotsubu cardiomyopathy, where under intense emotional stress, they just freaked out and their heart seized. But I actually think it was where they misunderstood who Jesus was, and they had an expectation of who he would be. In fact, Jesus says to the crowd the next day, don't come to me for breakfast. I fed you the day before. I'm not here as your food relief program. I'm not here just to give you physical food the whole time. I'm here to give you spiritual food. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. And even the disciples hadn't understood that. He thought that They thought he was coming to be their king and to get rid of the government and to feed them as well practically. And because they misunderstood Jesus, their hearts were hardened. And we see again with Pharaoh, all the miracles and the wonders that Pharaoh experienced. And then his heart softened and he said, okay, the people can go. And then it hardened and said, no, you can't go. And then it softened and then it hardened. And eventually, Pharaoh died with a hardened heart after he chased after the Israelites and died in the sea because his heart was so hardened against what God was doing. We need to be careful about our hearts becoming hardened to what God wants to do in our lives. Keep a soft heart. Number two is heart arrhythmias, where your heart beats too quickly or too slowly or irregularly, and you may suffer from dizziness, fainting, discomfort. And sometimes when we're out of step with the Spirit, God wants us to be in line with his heartbeat, with what he's doing. And sometimes we feel out of step with God. We feel either we're rushing ahead or we're falling behind what he's doing. We feel overwhelmed. And God is saying, stay in step with my spirit and keep up with me. And then you won't be overwhelmed. Then you'll walk out what I have for you. Number three, an enlarged heart, megali. Cardio meaning heart, mega meaning enlarged. You would think this is a good thing. I mean, who wouldn't want a big heart? It means you can run faster, you can be stronger, you can do more. Some athletes even have enlarged hearts where it's been proportionally increased due to all the physical activity they're doing. But you can get an enlarged heart that's disproportionately enlarged, and that's very dangerous because an enlarged heart is not designed to operate at that size. It actually becomes less efficient at pumping blood, and you can actually suffer from stroke or heart heart failure. An enlarged heart also fails to relax properly and get stiff, refer back to one: a hardened heart. And so for us, God's created us to be who we are, not to be bigger than we are, or do things in our own strength, or be full of pride. And when we do that, we're not operating efficiently in what God has for us. And so we must be careful of having an enlarged heart, because it's created us to be who we are. Let's be comfortable with that. Number four: heart disease and heart valves, the effect on it called stenosis. Now it's an amazing system where the oxygenated blood flows through your whole body and the whole body benefits from that. But what happens if there's trauma to the heart or disease or infection? Your heart doesn't operate as it should. And the valves don't fully open or close. Or sometimes you get blood going the wrong direction. And then your heart starts to suffer. And for us, can you imagine if our heart suddenly decided very selfishly, I'm tired of doing my job. I'm just going to take all that deoxygenated blood and I'm just going to hold on to it. What will be the effect on the rest of the body? And for us spiritually, sometimes that's what we, what we like to do. Offenses come in, unforgiveness, bitterness, and we hold on to these things. And that's like deoxygenated blood sitting on our heart going nowhere. And God has said, take those things captive, give them to Him. And it's like sending them to the lungs for fresh oxygen so it can come back to us full of life, full of oxygen to go to the rest of the body and benefit the body. And we must be careful about holding on to those things. Our heart would not work if it held on to that deoxygenated blood and didn't continue to pump it. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Don't hold on to the past and regret and disappointment and disillusionment. Your heart will get sick. And lastly, point number five, my most important point, if you are dozing up until now, it's the time to listen. If the person next to you is sleeping, give them a nudge. This is heart attack, myocardial infarction. This is when the heart muscle is cut off from the oxygen and needs to operate. It's due to atherosclerosis, or a slow buildup of plaque, which includes fat, cholesterol, and other s- substances building up in the coronary arteries. Blood clots form around this plaque, and eventually that life-giving blood is cut off, and you have a heart attack. And we need to know the condition of our hearts. It's like the guy who went to the doctor, and the doctor's saying to him about his cholesterol, and he's talking to him about triglycerides and LDL and HDL and all these things. You can see the guy's eyes just glazing over, and he's not listening to him. And eventually the doctor says, Hey, I'm talking to you. You may look good on the outside, but your heart is clogged. I don't want you to be out jogging one day and just fall down from a heart attack. And the guy says to him, Don't worry, doc, there's no problem with that. I don't jog. I'll be fine. And we don't like to recognize there's an issue there. But God is saying, look at your heart. Be realistic about it. And the danger to our hearts, spiritually, is sin. Sin is like the plaque that builds up in your arteries. It's subtle. It slowly builds up over time. And it causes death. We need to be aware of it as it will attack our hearts spiritually. We need to watch out for being tempted. Being tempted doesn't mean we're falling into sin. But we do need to resist temptation. Matthew 26 verse 41 says, Watch and pray so you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I can attest to this. We're often most tempted when we're tired or stressed or isolated or on our own. That's when you're maybe sitting at night, you've had dinner, you're watching a movie, you're by yourself and you hear this voice, Dave. Dave. It's coming from the cupboard. It's that packet of Doritos. (laughs) I'm feeling weak, but there's no one else around. Everyone Luke's asleep. George, we all sleep ages ago. And you hear this voice, Dave. And you say, "No, no, no. I've had a healthy dinner full of vegetables and um, fruits, and um, Kina don't uh, disagree with that. And um, "I don't need you right now, junk food." And the readers say, "Just one bite. You know you want to." And so you think, "Oh, would it be that bad? You know it's late. I am a bit hungry. Okay, let me have a bite. Oh, that tastes good. And then another bite. And then another bite. And before you realize realise it, you've finished the packet. And you're like, oh, what have I done? I didn't even want them. Now I feel even worse than I did. And that is what sin is like for us. It tastes good in the moment. It feels good. It's like our relationship with complex carbohydrates. We love what they do for us, but we hate what they do to us. And sin is like that. It will give you short-term pleasure, but in the long term, it will kill you. In Galatians 5, verse 16 to 17, it says, Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to one another. We can't keep giving in to the flesh. We're not alone in the struggle, though. Because Paul, the great apostle, said, in Romans 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. but what I do... I hate to do. Bit of a tongue twister there. But if this is Paul the Apostle saying he struggles to do, he goes on to say it's his sinful nature. And he says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I keep on doing. This is a struggle for all of us to look after our hearts, to fight against this. The struggle's real. But God says he will make a way out. In 1 Corinthians, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When Kenan shouts downstairs and says, Come to bed. (laughs) Don't eat the chips. She's making a way out. God will make a way out. James 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a habit we need to develop here of resisting. Resist that temptation. We also have a high priest who's empathized with our weakness. Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days. We think it's rough in that moment. Jesus went through 40 days of tempting. He was fasting and said he was hungry. And the devil offered him everything. He said, turn these stones into bread. And he was hungry. He would have been tempted. I'll give you all of this. And Jesus responded with scripture and said, no. He set the example for us. Jesus has been through everything that we have. And if he can resist it, he's got the strength to help us resist it. If you don't resist, though, and you allow sin to come in, it will start to consume you. And it will start to affect others around you and your relationships with others. Luke 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. As we trust we've got good hearts, our relationships will prosper and do well. When they're selfish, we'll start to see it coming through. We used to have a tradition at work where if it was your birthday, you would take cake or muffins or cupcakes. I never understood that because I thought it was my birthday. Why am I bringing all this food? But I guess it's better to give than receive. So we used to do that. And um, we found the store that did these amazing donuts, these frosted donuts, and they gave us a super special because we bought so often for them for birthdays that they would deliver to our our, store to work. We we're all working remotely, so guys send cheeky mails of here's your virtual donut nowadays. But back in the day, this box of donuts would arrive. And I can tell you, you wanted to be there on someone's birthday. These donuts were that good. As engineers, it was really the highlight of our week when someone had a birthday. You made sure you were in the office that day. And <clears throat> I remember one day a bunch of us got back and half the donuts were gone. And then another time we got back and all of them were gone. And remember trying to plot and figure out who was eating all the donuts. To this day, we don't know. We had to let that go in our hands. But we imagine catching this person that was sitting there eating all of the donuts. What would the response be? First of all, probably it wasn't me. And we're like, we can see the frosting. you like, you've got bits of donut all around your mouth. And maybe he would say, oh, it was a moment of weakness, or my blood sugar was low, or I was really hungry, I hadn't had breakfast. And you would be okay. <laughs> You're sorry, you don't let it happen again. But then the next time, it's donut day, and he's eaten all the donuts again. And then again. And then your grace for I'm sorry has started to run out. And it's a silly example because he's doing us a favor. We Actually, we shouldn't be eating donuts. But the reality is the sin in your life will not only consume you, it will consume others as well. It cannot be satisfied. And we have to cut it off. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Not only does he want to devour you, he wants to devour others around you. And so we don't always want to admit the condition of our heart. Why not? Well, we don't want others to know maybe we're not perfect. We're embarrassed about it. We're caught in sin. We like it. We don't want to repent or change, but repentance is the thing that will break the sin in your life as we bring it into the light, as we turn around from it. Now, there's a difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is saying, I'm sorry. Saying to your body, I'm sorry for having McDonald's today, and I'm sorry for having McDonald's tomorrow, and I'm going to be sorry, body, for having McDonald's the next day. And we all saw what happened with Supersize Me, where the guy's organs started shutting down. You can say, I'm sorry as many times as you want to your body, but as long as you're eating McDonald's every day, It's going to start shutting down, and there's not going to be any change. I'm sorry for eating all the donuts. But repentance is, I'm sorry, and I will not do that again. I'm going to turn away from that completely. I'm going to be healthy, both in the spirit and physically. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Who doesn't want that? Your sins wiped away and times of refreshing coming from the Lord. There was a comment that was once made, the fathers of the church were not afraid to go out into the desert because they had richness in their hearts. But we with richness all around us are afraid because the desert is in our hearts. God wants our hearts to be full, full of life, full of fresh, oxygenated blood, not caught up by sin and everything else. And so what do we do going forward to ensure we keep these healthy hearts? First of all, we're thankful for the gift. We're thankful for this gift of salvation. We're reminded and we don't forget what God's done for us. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the God. Let's think of eternal heavenly things. When we focus down here, our hearts get injured and suffer trauma quickly. And we hold on to things. Let's keep our focus on heaven and what God is doing. We incline our hearts. Psalm 119, 112. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. That's an interesting word, incline. Indicates our hearts may not be in that position initially. Our hearts are in a constant state of decline. They want to almost fall away from God. And we have to be inclining ourselves back towards God. Find out where your treasure is. Mark six, twenty-one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to let go of things. Don't let your heart be consumed by that unforgiveness and that bitterness that disillusionment. We need to guard our hearts. When people say, He or she broke my heart, we have to ask, well, Why did we give it to them? And obviously, there are times where we do risk, and in faith, we give our hearts to people. But be careful with your heart. Don't go around giving it to everyone where it can be broken and hurt. And finally, we have joy in our hearts. Psalm 37, verse 4 Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. One of the ways to break self pity and disappointment is to respond with joy. Say, Thank you, Lord, I'm joyful, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so, in all these things, God has given us a fresh heart, He's given us this new heart, He's made us new creations. And things want to come in. We are tempted. Sin wants to come in and destroy our hearts. But God has made a way out. And He wants us to live with fresh hearts that are renewed daily. And in closing, Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19 says, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that through Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know His love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the full measure of God. And my prayer for us this morning is we would be filled to the full measure of God. That we would leave this place with healthy, pure hearts. We would rid ourselves of everything that's holding us back. And it would be different from this morning. And so maybe the worship team can come up again. And as I, I started in the beginning... This is not a work we do. There are practical things we can do, but ultimately God is the surgeon who will change our hearts. God is the one that wants to do the work in us. And so I'd love for us to just go, I'm going to pray for us, and then just go back into the time of worship where we just give our hearts again to God and say, God, do that work in me.